This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader Weekends. Every Saturday we bring you a bonus episode of our business podcast, How to Be a CEO. This is a cut-down version, so hit the link in the show notes to hear the full thing or search your podcast provider for How to Be a CEO. There are new episodes every Monday morning. When a venture capitalist hits big with a company that seemed to come out of nowhere, it can feel like they're using some kind of a crystal ball, that they have magic abilities to spot where a potential huge name like, let's say, Deliveroo will come from and get in early. The reality is there's a bit more science to the decision making. What we saw was that when Deliveroo was first kind of getting to market, all of a sudden you could buy a cheap Android phone that was pretty good for about 50 quid. And you had the ability of having, you know, a computer in every driver's pocket, and then you can make sure the drivers are a lot more productive. And, you know, that, that was the real question that we thought was, was being answered, that the time was now. Rob Nyes is the co-founder of Hoxton Ventures, and backing Deliveroo was one of their early successes. A decision made not just by looking at a smart idea for a company, but the world into which it was entering and assessing how that company was equipped to take advantage and change it. For any company in a sector, you look and say, you know, are these folks able to be among the top two or three in the world? Is there some edge that we think gives these folks the chance to be a, a winner and not just a local also ran? I'm David Marsden from the Evening Standard. Rob's going to be appearing at our SME Expo, which is being held at Excel London on April 25th and 26th. He'll be talking with a panel of experts about the tech of the future. So you can probably expect a lot of talk about ChatGPT. We may as well start in that sector. What is the most exciting area that he's looking at for investment right now? You know, I, I think it's pretty broad. I mean, I, I hate to be tied down to any one area, but you know, I still think we're in the early days of, you know, the ability of having a essentially a supercomputer in your pocket to do amazing amounts of things. So, you know, things like generative AI have become really hot in the past six months where you can, you know, type in a few words and get a beautiful image that looks, you know, photorealistic and frankly, you know, the quality is probably improving, you know, twenty percent a month. So stuff like that's kind of tangible and real and interesting. But again, I think you're seeing kind of all parts of the world getting reinvented by software in different ways and people trying to find economies, whether it's using machine learning for simple things like data entry or whether it's using, you know, computing power to look at how proteins fold in, in the biology space. I mean, software is, you know, eating the world, like Mark, I think Mark Andreessen says. I still think we're, we're in a, a rather interesting area where nearly every business I talk to or anyone I meet at, you know, the dad's nights at my my kid's school, you know, software is changing their business in some way, whether it's, you know, just basic SaaS stuff they're using or their core business is becoming digitized. You know, we're in a, a very interesting time. How far ahead of time are you looking? So everyone's looking at AI, everyone's looking at bio right now. Are you thinking, right, in a year's time, this is going to be hitting really big? 
Or do you? Or do you get taken by surprise? I think you always get taken by surprise. You know, no VCs can really see the future. All we can do are you know surround ourselves with people in the industry that you know have a view, people that are deep in any domain space, and then kind of extrapolate on what we've seen before. So with with generative AI, for example, you know it's clear to me that you know the pace of the underlying data quality is you know probably getting better at you know ten or fifteen percent a week. Which means that if you're make if you're if you're a a maker of products, so if you're making photos or whatever it is, or you're making images of celebrities, you know, it's sort of like in the early computing days that when you bought a new Intel CPU, you know, it actually made a difference, right? Going from a two eighty six to a three eighty six made everything faster, and it made Windows runnable. So you, you want to sit on top of these platform gains, where when you have the the Moore's law type gains, where something is getting incredibly faster and cheaper. How do you take advantage of that and find a way of capitalizing on the fact all the stuff underneath you is getting cheaper and faster with every passing period? One of Hawkstone's most notable successes was probably in Deliveroo, which you guys spotted really early on. What caught your attention there? You know, what we really saw is, you know, and for every deal we ask ourselves, like, you know, why, why now? What's changed in the market that makes this the time to surf in that market? And, and again, sometimes, you know, there's, commercial changes or some factors. You know, it's rare that a business pops out of nowhere and you know reinvents something without there being some kind of external rationale for why it's happening now. Um, and what we saw with, with Phil Veru in the, in the very early days was that if you think about the dot-com boom and, and all the crazy ideas back then, you know, there was a, a company called Cosmo in New York that was doing food delivery. And you know, it was really cool if you're wealthy in New York, you know, literally a guy on a bike had a pager he got a page that said, call this number. He called the dispatch. Dispatch said, go to you know, West 55th Street at the bodega, pick up you know, this, that, and the other, and bring it to West 58th Street. And it worked, but it was really inefficient. And what we saw was that when delivery was first kind of getting to market, all of a sudden, you could buy a cheap Android phone that was pretty good for about 50 quid, which was a real game changer. Because you know, up until then, you know, to get a phone with an accelerometer and the ability to track, you know, a to track everything very closely was pretty expensive. So all of a sudden you had the ability of having, you know, a computer in every driver's pocket. And then if you think about what makes any delivery business work, it's the, it's the volume of, you know, how many deliveries can you do per hour? So if you all of a sudden can keep track of the drivers very closely, you can route them, you can figure out when they're lost. You know, some of them may, you know, have poor language skills and get lost and don't know how to call for help or don't know how to or don't have an SMS function on their phone or a WhatsApp function, whatever it is, all of a sudden with a cheap Android phone, you can make sure the drivers are a lot more productive. And you know, that, that was the real question that we thought was, was being answered, that the time was now because you could do a lot more on the software side. And it wasn't a very cumbersome process like pagers. It was down to the point of you know, if a driver decides they want to stop off and have a cigarette, they can do that, but it's, it becomes obvious in the app that they're not, uh, you know, they're not working at that time. <laughs> I could do with a break myself. So let's do that. On to the ads. Go have a look at smexpo.co.uk where you'll find the lineup for the shows. People like previous guests on this podcast, including Deborah Meaden and Levi Roots. And you can see them all for free. smexpo.co.uk. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And when you back a company like Deliveroo or any company, how involved do you then get in the future of that company and how that company is working? Or do you just go, we believe you, here's the money to make that thing happen? Or do you step in and go, maybe try this or look at this angle as well? Well, I think we we try and provide you know sensible feedback. But again, you know, as VCs, you know, we're we're by definition minority investors. So we don't really control the company in any meaningful way. You know, we have defensive provisions as board members often to protect the the value of the shares. But in general, I'd say that we hope that founders want to come to us to chat about things. But you know, it's it's their business at the at the end of the day. You know, we can raise our hands if if we think we've seen the story before and you know mistake is being made or you know, again, in, in a good functioning company, you know, usually our feedback is useful enough where the founders will come and say, hey, you know, what do you think of this? Or who do you know in this space? We try and bring in people that we know that are going to be useful to the founder, whether it's a, a partner or an advisor or, you know, someone they, they can work with downstream in some way. But um, no, I think at the end of the day, if you expect the, the success of a company to depend on you, it's probably a bad investment that frankly, you kind of want to invest with the sense of, you know, if I get hit by the bus tomorrow, the company will be just fine. You know, maybe I can create some some tailwinds, but you know, I'm not going to be the one that makes a difference in the company enough to to really say it makes a difference for an investor. Why did you not just found Hoxton, but to go? I'm I want to be a venture capitalist. I can't imagine. You know, when you were eight years old, you thought you were sitting there in your classroom going, "And you know what? I'm going to be a VC." I think if you talk to people in the industry, nearly everyone kind of stumbles into it. You know, I think part of it was being in Europe that you know I came over here with Google for a while, or for what I thought would be a short while, um, and kind of saw the opportunity that the market, the talent was really good, and comparatively compared to California, the density of capital available was really low. I joined Fidelity, who at the time it's been renamed Eight Roads now, but it was a earlier stage venture capital fund here in London. So kind of learned the ropes of venture and. You know, frankly, it's a an interesting way of getting exposure to lots of ideas without having to to pick one necessarily. So, you know, if there's one thing I was absolutely passionate about, I probably ought to, you know, go found the company in that space. But it also it's also good for the for the ADHD sufferers that it lets you have a portfolio of lots of different things to to focus on and give you some kind of, you know, diversity around, you know, looking at different things or being able to explore different sectors. So it's a very privileged job in, in many ways because we can, you know, write checks and you know get to pick who we think can be winners. But you know, it's kind of the the trade off that you know, everyone kind of comes into it to a different way. Oftentimes, it's usually through having made a company and made a lot of money on that company, and then looking to put your money to work afterwards. So that's probably the most common way. Others are you know simply folks that started out with you know two thousand pound angel checks and 
kind of slowly built their portfolio up and made 50 different investments or, you know, had an inheritance and split it up 50 different ways. And, you know, some people are totally grassroots, you know, they become investors that way. And if they're good, then more money comes in. Some people start rich and end up richer. Some people start rich and blow it all. But usually uh, it's access to capital that's usually helpful. And otherwise for us, it was a was basically around the ability to um to raise capital given we worked at funds prior. But it must be, you know, in comparison to founding a, a company that creates something and goes to venture capitalists for money, it must be uniquely difficult to set up a venture capitalist firm. Surely there must be all kinds of complications and things that people wouldn't expect. Yeah, I mean, you're basically selling, you know, it's like doing a pre-seed round for the first 10 years of your of your company. So again, I, I don't expect any sympathy because I don't think VCs necessarily deserve sympathy. But yeah, it, it's a it's a tough product to sell. You have you know a reputation and a track record and you're selling your track record. So it's very hard to enter, especially as a newer a newer manager, because you almost by definition don't have much track record. You now some people may get lucky and have one like home run very early in their career. I mean, I think the the best advice I ever heard for venture was, you know, the best thing you can do is get really lucky in the first couple of years of your career and have some kind of home run because that makes it a lot easier that you know success begets success. But um, yeah, it's it's really it's salesmanship on both sides. Like, can you convince investors why you're a trustworthy place for them to put their money? And you know, different investors have different parameters for what they look for. And then from founders, likewise, in in any functioning market, it's you kind of selling yourself to founders around why founders should take your money at your price versus anyone else out there. So it's a real sales job at the end of the, the, end of the day. So you're uh, you're as good as a car salesman sitting in the lot that there's product, you know, you can go and, you know, if you can prove you can sell, then you make your commission and if you don't, you don't, you starve. That was Rob Nyes from Hoxton Ventures. Check out standard.co. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. UK forward slash business for more news, interviews and analysis. How to be a CEO is back on Monday morning. We'd love to see you there.